Cosmetic surgery is big business in this country. It has become increasingly popular and may not only have physical, but psychological benefits to patients. Might cosmetic surgery affect future antidepressant use in these patients? Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I am Dr. Leslie Lunt, your host, and with me today is Dr. Bruce Friedman. Dr. Friedman is the Medical Director of Plastic Surgery Associates of Northern Virginia. He is certified by the American Board of Plastic Surgery and is a fellow of the American College of Surgeons and the American Society for Laser Medicine and Surgery. He continues to perform research and lectures nationally on the latest developments in cosmetic surgery. Welcome. Well, thank you, Leslie. Thanks for having me on your show. So tell us about antidepressant use in cosmetic surgery patients, Dr. Friedman. How, how did you even get interested in this topic? Well, over the past 15 years, I've noted that a Quite a few of our patients have been on the antidepressant medications, most notably the SSRIs. We started to realize that patients who had cosmetic surgery had a significant improvement in their self-esteem. This was reported in the literature in several different studies, but it was done in a qualitative manner. We decided to look at a specific quantitative data point and felt that if we could track the antidepressant use in patients following cosmetic surgery, we might see some sort of link. So, so how did you do this? What was the study design? Well, the study design began with a one-year uh, prospective study looking at 362 men and women who presented to the office and finally underwent cosmetic surgery. These were facelifts, breast augmentation, breast reduction, and tummy tucks. Now, before the operations of these 362 consecutive patients who were evaluated for surgery and treated with surgery, 83% of them were not taking antidepressants. And that meant that 61 of the patients, or 17%, were taking the medications. Now, this corresponds pretty well with a previous study that showed about 16 to 18% of cosmetic surgery patients do take uh, SSRI antidepressants. And, of course, that compares with about 13% of the general adult population. So we felt that we were working with a reasonably intact population. Mm-hmm. We followed the patients after their operations, and six months after surgery, we inquired whether they were taking their antidepressant medications or not. Interestingly enough, 19 of those 61 patients had stopped taking the antidepressants, and this represented a decrease of 31%. We did uh, analysis of variants to determine whether any outside factors, such as changes in jobs or uh, deaths in the family, had uh, affected uh, the decrease in antidepressant use, and there was no correlation. We also then looked at the 301 patients who were not taking antidepressants at the beginning of the study. 4% of those patients were taking antidepressants uh, six months after the surgery. So we call that a baseline kind of background. Statistically, what this study showed was that a significant percentage of patients who were taking antidepressants prior to cosmetic surgery stopped taking them after cosmetic surgery. And uh, what our feeling was that the effects of cosmetic surgery can positively affect people's self-esteem and uh, create a kind of a better picture for their life. There are a couple other studies that um, have been performed have looked at this, not looking at antidepressant use, but looking at self-esteem scales and quality of life scales and found similar findings that patients after cosmetic surgery scored significantly higher in quality of life and self-esteem scales following the procedures. But, of course, another explanation would be it was time for them to get off their antidepressants anyway if it was six months later. That is true. Although most of the psychiatrists that I've talked to say they do prefer their patients to stay on the uh, SSRIs for approximately one year after starting them. And, of course, one thing we didn't do 
was track how many months or years the patients had been on those medications prior to their operations. Uh-huh. Now, what kind of stories do the patients tell you on follow-up about how their life has changed? Well, interestingly, both groups of patients, the patients who were taking antidepressants prior to surgery and the patients who were not, said that they felt significantly better after their procedures, and they had a very high satisfaction rates, 98 to 99% of patients. This, again, correlates well with previous studies showing, for example, that 95% of women after breast augmentation and 94% of women after breast reduction feel that their lives have benefited significantly and they've been very happy with the results of their operations. Mm-hmm. So all in all, I think that in the proper circumstances with the proper patients, cosmetic surgery can be a you know, positive experience. And of course, meeting patient expectations is important from my standpoint, but also I believe the patients have to set realistic expectations for what they want. Nevertheless, it seems like in the limited studies that have been performed, uh, cosmetic surgery can provide a strong mental boost for people. Mm-hmm. And, and how do you do that? How do you go about helping them set realistic expectations of what the outcome is going to be? I think uh, when I sit down and talk to a patient initially, you know, I ask them several questions that are, you know, give me uh, some insight into their mindset. Of course, the, the number one question is, you know, what brings you here as we kind of uh, what can I do for you? That's what we always see on the introduction of the Nip Tuck television show. <laughs> but um, we do want to, I do want to know what they want to have done, what they're trying to improve, and who they're trying to do this for. Of course, answering from the last question forward, we obviously want patients to have surgery for them. We want their own desires to be the motivating force as opposed to external factors such as work or spouses. The second thing is, of course, I want to explain to them that there are limitations with the surgery we can perform. One of the big problems we have in this celebrity kind of uh, motivated world is so many people come in wanting to look like certain celebrities or stars, and that just can't be done. So you have to help these people set their expectations and, and also to set their expectations regarding recovery and what they can and cannot do after an operation. It's a difficult thing. It's probably the most difficult part of, the, of my job is setting expectations appropriately. If you've just joined us, you're listening to ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Leslie Lunch, your host, and with me today is plastic surgeon Dr. Bruce Friedman. Now, Bruce, when, when I first started in psychiatry, I naively thought that pre-screening for plastic surgery patients would be a natural source of referrals to my practice. And, of course, in 20-some years of practice, that, that hasn't ever happened. Uh, the only psych assessments I've ever done pre-cosmetic surgery have been for gender reassignment-type surgeries. Um, so I'm curious, as a surgeon, how do you predict which patients might have psychological problems that may be worsened by cosmetic surgery? I'm sure, you know, clearly there's a benefit for, for most people, but I would think some people might have a negative psychological outcome. I think you're exactly right. And uh, there have been some reports in the plastic surgery literature indicating different types of questionnaires and personality profiles that have been recommended for plastic surgeons to give their patients prior to surgery. The problem with that is many patients who come in for cosmetic enhancement have slightly fragile uh, egos and self-esteem problems. I mean, we all have some element of self-esteem issues, but um, A lot of plastic surgeons believe that if you were to ask people questions about their mental health, you might drive away their business. So I think the majority of plastic surgeons have shied away from personality profiles and questionnaires. I, like you, however, felt that I might be able to develop a relationship with a psychiatrist or psychologist to assist patients. That really hasn't been terribly successful, with the exception of a group of psychologists who seem interested in in, uh, referring some of their patients, generally women who have been abused. 
because uh, their self-esteem is so battered or so de- depressed or altered that you know sometimes anything that you could do for them can just give them improvements in leaps and bounds. Mm-hmm. Um, the red flags that pop up in our mind, and I think for all physicians, uh, it's maybe generally the same, are patients who have been to multiple consultations or have been treated by multiple other surgeons and have been unhappy with their results. Or, and that would be a red flag to tell me this is someone I might have to be careful of. Another red flag would be a person who brings in a photograph of a celebrity who doesn't look anything like themselves <laughs> and, and asks me to, to transform them into that person. Mm. Of course, that would be that unrealistic expectation. I think sometimes people uh, have unrealistic monetary expectations, people who tell me that if only they can change themselves, they can land a big contract or somehow win a job, uh, maybe preserve a marriage. Those would be red flags that would tell me that this is a person who doesn't really understand the rationale behind cosmetic enhancement. So those are things we look at. And I think that a lot of my patients uh, do get referred by other physicians like primary care physicians or I have interactions uh, with primary care physicians who do preoperative evaluations with my patients. So I think it is important if the plastic surgeon or the primary care physician sees a red flag pop up to kind of, you know, let his colleague know that there may be a problem. And that's happened uh, over my career where I've gotten phone calls from colleagues saying, hey, you know, this person was in my office for a pre-op evaluation. I'm not sure he or she really understands what's going on. Mm. So it could be a good liaison between the the specialties. That makes good sense. Uh, The group that I would probably be most concerned about from a psychiatric perspective would be the folks that have body dysmorphic disorder. Again, speaking to unrealistic expectations that they hate their nose, but they hate their nose in a very profound and deep way. And surgery is probably not going to, well, we know surgery is not going to help that. And there have been uh, lawsuits actually filed uh, against plastic surgeons for patients with body dysmorphic disorders. Most of the time, the the findings have been in favor of the of the defense, of the physicians, but there surely has this has raised the awareness of what to look for. And I think uh, just to briefly go over it for people who might not be that familiar with it, body dysmorphic disorder is characterized by several really profound clinical findings. From what I understand, I I don't know if I've met very many people with the true disorder. They'll stand in front of the mirror and for like three or four hours a day, mm-hmm. focusing on very minor imperfections can really be obsessive about those issues, I guess that really adversely affects their lifestyles. Do you find that they're willing to share that with you when you do your initial evaluation? You might be able to help me with this. I've heard that, what is it, 3 to 5% of the population may have body dysmorphic disorder. If that's the case, I haven't seen a lot of them in my practice. You know, I, I can't tell you that anyone's volunteered that to me. I've seen a few people who seem to have very unrealistic expectations, significant concerns about minor imperfections. Uh, that kind of tips me off. Most of the time, I just tell those people, surgery really is not something that's going to improve you, or the risks of an operation will outweigh the benefits. You know, there's a better chance that I will leave you with a deformity. Of course, going back to the Hippocratic Oath, we surely would prefer to do no harm if we can't do any good. Right, yeah. Those numbers for body dysmorphic disorder seem really high to me as well. I've only seen a few in my career. And I think that was from a, you know, a review article in one of the plastic surgery journals, but it seemed a bit high. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Any other things that, that you worry about in these patients that may have sort of frail, uh, preoperative psychological conditions? Well, I surely look for a strong family support system. When patients tell me, for example, they have no friends in the area, no one can bring them into the office, they want to take a cab home from the hospital after surgery, those things worry me. Uh, people who are trying to hide the operations from society, that also <laughs> kind of worries me. So, yeah, I bet. And I'm sure that worries all physicians, too, um, you know, for if people are trying to go it alone um, in the world, that's a tough thing to do. So we occasionally have those patients, and those um, we try to screen them out also. 
So I think we look for those general red flags. All in all, my profession or my career has been a, a very satisfying one. And I think that in addition to the patients whom I've been able to help with cosmetic enhancement, I also kind of lean back on a lot of the patients whom I've worked with from a reconstructive standpoint, which not only improves function but also cosmesis, and uh, feel that there really is a good role for plastic surgery in society, although I think that if we turn on the television or read too many of magazines at the supermarkets, we see a very distorted view and a distorted role for cosmetic surgery, and that may uh, leave a bad taste in some people's mouths. I want to thank our guest today, Dr. Bruce Friedman. We've been discussing how cosmetic surgery affects antidepressant utilization and perhaps self-esteem. I'm Dr. Leslie Lunt. You've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD, XM233, the channel for medical professionals. For comments and questions, please send your emails to xm at reachmd.com. Thank you for listening.